Today's food for the journey will be a classic reflection of today's readings. Hello, brothers and sisters. I'm Sister Ann Shields, and welcome once more to Food for the Journey. Today, we celebrate the feast of St. Paul Miki and his companions. And you might say, and who is Paul Miki? Well, Paul Miki is a martyr, and he was a Japanese Jesuit with 25 companions, and they died at the hands of the Japanese February 5th, 1597. 1597. And the following decades saw repeated mass executions frequently by burning. The stalwart Japanese frequently recited prayers during their deaths. Faithful onlookers were known to chant the Magnificat or the Te Deum as the martyrs succumbed. Frustrated by their inability to eradicate Catholicism through public executions, the Japanese authorities closed the country to foreign visitors in 1638. Japan was reopened to foreign visitors in 1865. And when that happened, literally thousands of covert Catholics came forward, still clinging to the faith of their fathers through from 1638 to 1865. That's over two centuries with no priests, and they passed on the faith and kept it as best they could. Brothers and sisters, how's our faith? How strong is it? What would we do in times of persecution and difficulty? How would we handle ourselves? There are questions that need to be asked. O oh God, strength of all the saints who through the cross were pleased to call the martyrs St. Paul Miki and his companions to life, grant we pray that by their intercession we may hold with courage even until death to the faith that we profess. These aren't words, brothers and sisters. This is a profession of one's life. May we pray it today. May we thank God for the faith we have. May we ask him to help us to grow that faith in our lives. The first reading today is taken from the first book of Kings, chapter 8, verses 22 to 23, and then verses 27 to 30. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the whole community of Israel, and stretching forth his hands toward heaven, he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You keep your covenant of mercy with your servants who are faithful to you with their whole heart. Can it indeed be that God dwells on earth? If the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built? Look kindly on the prayer and petition of your servant, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry of supplication which I, your servant, utter before you this day. May your eyes watch night and day over this temple, the place where you have decreed you shall be honored. May you heed the prayer which I, your servant, offer in this place. Listen to the petitions of your servant and of your people Israel which they offer in this place. Listen from your heavenly dwelling, and grant pardon. 
when we speak to the Lord, it's it's always a good thing to ask the Lord before you ask for something, to ask the Lord to forgive you for ways that you failed him. It's good for us to do that. It's good to acknowledge that we know we have hurt the Lord at times. It's good to be able to ask forgiveness. You know what happens in human relationships when two people forgive one another. It's uh, it just it gives whole new life to the to the relationship because it was worth going through the difficulty and safeguarding the relationship. And how much more is that true with God? So run to Him when you make mistakes. Run to Him when you sin and fail. Just go to Him and say, "Please forgive me. I'm sorry." Which means I will do my best not to let this happen again. And if I do, I'll just come back to you and God will forgive. He will not withhold forgiveness from those who come to him sincerely and ask for it, no matter what the crime. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord mighty God. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul yearns and pines for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home in the swallow a nest in which she puts her young. Your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed they who dwell in your house. Continually they praise you. O God, behold our shield. Look upon the face of your anointed. I love this verse. I had rather one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather have one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's a psalmist who knew more deeply, his faith was more alive. Is our faith alive? I would rather one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather lie at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather hang out on the porch in the house of God than come inside to what is wicked, to find a home in the midst of what is evil. Make that psalm your own. Incline my heart, O God, to your decrees. Favor me. Favor me with your law. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. When the Pharisees with some scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples ate their meals with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, and in fact all Jews, do not eat without carefully washing their hands and keeping the tradition of the elders. And on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things that they have traditionally observed, the purification of cups and jugs and kettles and beds. So the Pharisees and scribes questioned him, Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but instead eat a meal with unclean hands? (laughs) And Jesus responds, Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honor this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines human precepts. In other words, what the Pharisees were doing was, quote, honoring God with their lips. They said all the right things, but their hearts are from from me. They don't worship me in spirit and in truth. They've made up their own doctrines and their own laws, and they're trying to teach them to other people as God's law, but it's actually just human ideas. The Ten Commandments we know are from God. Do we obey them? 
But let us not get ourselves into a situation where we pay more attention to somebody who's trying to get a following and they've they've basically manufactured their own Bible and their own rules and their own regulations. And that's what happened to the Pharisees over a period of time. They were zealous, but they became zealous of the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Why did God give the law? What was God's intention? They got themselves so tied up in knots, they had, I don't know how many hundred precepts that everybody was to follow to the letter. And Jesus is saying, you're hypocrites. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. And he went on to say how well you have set aside the commandment of God in order to uphold your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses father or mother shall die. Yet you say, if someone says to father or mother, any support you might have had from me is gorpan, meaning dedicated to God. You allow him to do nothing more for his father and mother. In other words, you want his money. Now, if somebody's just hoarding their money, that's another thing. But if that money is really being used for the upkeep or the care of his parents, and the Pharisees are saying, you have to give this to God. Why? Because then it went into their coffers. They were the ones who could do with it what they wanted. So they're false. That's why, that's why Jesus was so angry with them. They said, quote, all the right words, but their intentions were wrong. And they began to create new idols just like all of us human beings can do. I don't mean uh, idols of, of wood or stone, but idols of determining ourselves what we think is most important. It's like saying, God, I, I think I like the third commandment, and I can do that, and I like uh, the fifth commandment, uh, but the others I'm just going to put aside. And I'm going to say that I know God is honored by my obedience to the commandments, even though you're only obedient to two <laughs> It's that kind of reasoning that we go through so that we can make things palatable for us, so that we can make things easier for us and yet look like we're very genuine, very great admirers of God, disciples of God. And uh, it's wrong. It can lead us astray. We can begin by serving God and end up by serving ourselves. So we want to be very, very, very careful of this, brothers and sisters. And this is why Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, trying to get them to see. But all they do is get angry. He says, any support you might have had from me is Corban, meaning dedicated to God. You allow him to do nothing more for his father and mother. You nullify the word of God in favor of your tradition that you have handed on. I don't mean the traditions that came from God's word to a people and they followed him. It's the traditions that we can make up, manufacture. You nullify the word of God in favor of your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many such things. He's trying to get them to change. And they they don't want to. They, they like who they are and they like what they're doing. Father Donald Haggerty, a diocesan priest from New York, who's also an author, take a look uh, at uh, some of the websites, uh, Father Donald Haggerty, uh, some very, very uh, marvelous uh, small books he has written that are both very inspirational, very insightful, very challenging, and very good. I recommend them. 
Submission, he writes, in the presence of truth is not an exacting demand, for the yearning for truth burns in the human soul and finds satisfaction when truth is finally met. This yearning is a flame that cannot be extinguished. Despite all human effort to deny the existence of God or simply to live without concern for the question of God, a complete indifference to the truth of God is impossible. Even without admitting so, the human soul hungers to know who God is, just as a child wants to know his own father and mother. At best, a man can only avert attention from a question that may seem to have no solution or answer. By its very nature, the contemplative life has the reverse effect. It inflames the soul's thirst for truth. Indeed, there is no contemplative grace bestowed unless a soul plunges deeply into a craving for truth. Over the course of time, the contemplative becomes a soul consumed by a desire for truth. Every falsity and artificial mask, every compromise that leans away from truth, every contrived and convenient interpretation that strays from truth is inimical to contemplative life, meaning you can't grow in intimacy with God until you're willing to live in the truth. And sometimes because we know we're not exactly living in the truth, we veer to the left or we veer to the right. And uh, Father Haggerty is really calling us to take a look at ourselves. When you read his writing, take a look at ourselves. How much of my life is not in accord with the truth as God teaches it and as I know it to be? Let's ask the Lord because the Lord, if you walk in truth, the Lord will draw very close to you. May God bless you. Mercy is at the heart and the center of God's love for us. To help you encounter God's mercy, I want to offer you a free copy of my booklet, Captured by Mercy. To request your copy, call 1-800-282-4789 or go to our website, renewalministries.net slash ffj.